The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday morning at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Hey, one of the verses you've been focusing on is in Ephesians 6. And in Ephesians 6, 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise. Of course, if you were honoring your father and your mother, you wouldn't give a cheap shot on a basketball court. But otherwise, other than that, honor your father and mother. Children, obey your parents. There's nothing in me automatically that would make me obey. I am... I am born not to obey. I'm born to be me. I'm born to want, no, to want what I want. And it's kind of interesting watching children, because I think if it's your first child, you're a little shocked. I mean, it was so cute. What happened? Is it in the water, or what just happened right now? And if you have two children, here's something that's radical that no one prepared you for. You have two very different children. And no one set us up for that. Someone should explain that to us. And if your first child was your pleaser, and pleasers are amazing, because your pleaser child really wants to do something, really wants to touch something, really wants to go and do it. But, all, but you say to that pleaser child, honey, please don't touch that. So if you came into the sanctuary after the service and your pleaser child saw this right here, and your pleaser child desperately wants to climb up here and touch this right here, and you say to your pleaser child, honey, please don't touch that, and your pleaser child stops, doesn't touch it, their lip quivers a little bit, because they're your pleaser. And if that's your first child, you're thinking, how hard is this thing? I ought to write a book on parenting. I mean, this is, this is awesome. And that's God setting you up for your second child, the humbling child, because the, uh, the humbling child, we're going to call the barbarian, comes walking in here and really didn't want to touch this, had no interest to touch this, until he heard you say to the other child, don't touch this. No, that's a no. That's a no. And this particular child has a synaptic disorder in their brain, and they translate the word no to the word go. And so this child not only now wants to touch this, not because they really want to touch this, but just because you said no, don't touch this. And not only want to touch it, but they want to look at you while they're touching it. You know, and if you're not doing anything, I'm carrying that bad boy out of here. Yeah, because there's something in me. Both of these children need to be trained to be leaders. The pleaser and the barbarian. And in the process here, as we raise this next generation, whether we're helping here at church, at home, for me, grandchildren now, we each have to know every child a leader, every child a leader, but leaders get compromised in their future life when they don't understand no when they don't know the word. No, I'm going to drive out of here today, and I'm going to go down Pines Boulevard, and on, on, when you get down Pines Boulevard to 172nd, that area in there, there's a horrible temptation on the north side. It's called Flanagan's. <laughs> and there's a thing in there called chicken stickers. And it's brutal. And I know I ought to have a salad today, and Flanagan's has salads, but nothing, I mean, look at me, nothing would ever occur to me to have a salad. And I, I have to just, and if Rosemary's not with me, we're in trouble. We're in huge trouble. And I know that's a no. And it would be funny if that was the only temptation in life. There are some great men in the Bible, a tale of two men. One of the men's name is Joseph. Joseph is my all-time hero. If you have a Bible, we're going to just spend a minute in chapter 39 of Genesis and, and in, in Genesis chapter 39, we see a boy who comes from a dysfunctional home. He comes from Jacob's home. And can I just say, because we like to blame our parents, 
all homes are dysfunctional. Hi, my name is Bob. I come from a dysfunctional home. I mean, that's all of us. None of our homes are perfect. And we tend to like to blame something on somebody else in life. And so Joseph, I mean, of all things, Joseph's brothers, when he's 17 years old, because dad gave him the coat, and when dad gave him the coat, it was kind of a statement that the second to youngest child is going to inherit Jacob, Inc. And it can't be. That can't be in the Jewish community. That just can't be. But Jacob's doing that. He's showing a favorite. And so the brothers can't take it anymore, and they decide to murder him. And then they decide, well, let's not murder him. And their excuse is, after all, he is our brother. Let's sell him. So they sell him, and they sell him onto a camel caravan, an Ishmaelite caravan that goes down to Egypt, this Jewish boy down to Egypt, and he gets purchased by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar, we believe, is probably a retired general who has come back and been given some plum jobs after being out in the field. One of his jobs is chief executioner, head of the prison, head of palace security. And Potiphar, we believe, has married a much younger wife. We don't know her name, so... We'll call her Hotifer in, in this particular situation. <laughs> and we see in Genesis 39, 1, now Joseph had been, had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now, can I just say, typically, we don't know specifically if this is true for him, but when you're purchased on the auction block in Egypt, probably in Alexandria, you're put on a podium naked. It's, it's an amazing humiliation here. It's a, really, it's a pre-picture of Christ hanging on the cross. Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph. And when I read the Lord was with Joseph, I, I really think that means he's going to get out. He's going to get rescued. Ah, because some of you are in situations that God really wants you in those situations right now. Because he's going to change your life there. And he's going to change something around you there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And, can I, and there's such a picture here. So the Lord was with him, and he was successful, but he's just the chief slave. He's still a slave. In fact, this passage is going to represent 11 years, from 17 to 28 years old. 11 years as a slave. 11 years as a slave. And it says, and his master, in verse 3, saw that the Lord was with him, which had to mean... His master didn't see that he was successful. He saw that the Lord was with him. It has to mean that Joseph was giving the credit to God. Otherwise, he'd just say, hey, amazing. You're amazing. I mean, you are so successful. His master saw that the Lord was with him. I take that to mean, well, thank you very much, but it's God. It's the Lord. The Lord was with him. And that the Lord caused him, caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in, had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now there's a corner turn in the, in the second part of verse 6. It says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, which means Joseph was well-built and handsome, which is probably why I personally identify with this whole passage right here. <laughs> and it's a setup here. It's a setup. Verse 7 it says, And after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. I mean, this is in the Bible. Come to bed with me. Let's have an affair. Wow. 
But he refused, verse 8, and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that, that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything for me except yourself, because you are his wife. And here it is. Here's his answer. How then can I do such a great wickedness and sin against God? Because if my reason is the master's been nice to me, then the master's not nice to me, then you're on. Now, this would be a great wickedness against God. And you want to back up if you're living with Joseph in the slave quarters, and you want to say, you're kidding me, man. 11 years as a slave in Potiphar's house. This God of yours, what has he done? Oh, but I know he's doing. I know that he's doing. I know he's got me. I know he's doing. This thing for Joseph, you know, the, many of you know the rest of the story. Then all of a sudden she plots to trap him in the house so she, he has no options. He chooses to run out of that house. He leaves his coat when he runs out of that house. Personally, and we'll find out in heaven, personally, I don't believe he ran from her. Personally, I believe he was running from his potential. I need to be out of here. Out of here. I need to delete this whole thing from my computer. I am out of here. Totally out of here. This is a no, and no means no. I'm out of here. And you, we, we tend to think in our culture when you do the right thing that wonderful things are going to happen. They are, but not always right away. He goes to prison for two and a half years because she tells a lie about him. And in prison, he starts taking care of people. I know you got me, so I'm going to minister to the people around me. And from there... He interprets a dream, and you know the rest of the story. Pharaoh has a dream. They call him upstairs. Jo Joseph, we understand you do dreams. And jo Joseph says, I don't. God does, which is tough to say to Pharaoh because he believes he's a god. And the amazing thing that happens is that day, listen to this, a Jew becomes prime minister of an Arab nation. In the humor of God, Jewish Joseph becomes prime minister of Egypt. In one day, a slave, not an, didn't have an MBA from anywhere, no law degree, a Jew becomes prime minister of Egypt. Why? Because he knew the word no. No means no. I'm not doing that. No means no. I'm not going to get angry and bitter towards my brothers. That's a no. I'm not going to sleep with her. That's a no. No means no. We want to raise those kids. Because there's another story about a guy you know named King David walking around the patio one night when he should have been out with his men at the battlefront. And he sees on the screen off his patio a website called Bathsheba. And he clicks on. Can I tell you when he called for Bathsheba, he had seven other wives. And it changed his, wife, his life and his boys forever. One of his boys will go on to rape one of his daughters. Another one of his boys will go on to take the country away from him. We need to raise our children to obey their parents because we want to raise our children to be able to grow up and obey their father. And in doing that, there's a word here that they need to understand. If you're an outline taker, number one, in order to become the person God has made me to be, I must understand no. I must understand no. No is such an important word. In order to be, if he knows the plans he has for me, in order to be the person God wants me to be, I need to understand no. That's a no. Looking at that, that's a no. Buying that, that's a no. And even some of the stuff that's not quite that, you know, like the new iPhone's getting ready to come out. And I, and I was talking to somebody yesterday during a break. Rosemary and I were in Tampa. And during a, during a break, I, they were telling me about the new iPhone. And I said, can I ask you something? What does it do that mine doesn't do? 
And they said, well, it's a little flatter than yours. I mean, and I said, well, what does it do that yours doesn't do? And, and, and he's just kind of looking at me and, and, but I, I really want it. I mean, remember it was the same thing with the flat screen TVs. I, what does it do? I just really want it. I don't want a TV with a back on it. That's irritating. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I just, there's just some things I have to have. Yeah. I want to raise a child to become an adult who doesn't do a Romans 12 to conform to the pattern of this world. Who goes out there and is a leader. Yeah, number two on your outline, the proper use of the word no prepares a child for the absolutes of life. For the absolutes of life. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Because you kind of think, Joe, you're in Egypt. It's kind of sad. The justifications I could see for this. You're in Egypt. Everybody's doing this in Egypt, number one. Number two, 17 to 28, you're never going to be married. What about your biology? It's obvious you're going to be a slave all your life. You're never going to be married. Well, you don't know that, Bob. Well, I don't know. I mean, what's the chance? And after all, she does own me. Kind of falling under authority sort of here, aren't I? Yeah, it's kind of pathetic how many re- reasons I came up with, isn't it? It's, and you back away, and yeah, but I need to respond to your authority. Completely, 100%. Your authority. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Number three on your outline. No becomes concrete when you know whose you are. It becomes concrete. Because your pleaser needs to know the word no, and your pleaser desperately needs to know the word no, because as your pleaser knows the word no, then they won't please their friends, and she won't please her boyfriend. Your barbarian needs to know the word no, because your barbarian is very driven, and has lots of appetites, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And then there's a word that pops up, and, and, and I deserve this. I'm sorry, but you deserve hell. But for Christ. It's kind of astounding. He would have come for me alone. He would have come for you alone. If we were the only ones on this planet. This great love is unbelievable. And to walk away and assume that I know more about my future and more how to handle me. And as I'm going through life, there's the great tempter that's out there trying to say, well, what about this, Bob? What about looking at that? What about clicking on that? What about buying that? What a, what a, and after all, son, you deserve to be happy. Yeah, there, there are number four. There are two ingredients that make up the word no, and they're very, very important. They're married. These two ingredients are very married, and they're very, very important. Letter A, ingredient, is wisdom. Wisdom. It takes wisdom to K-N-O-W-N-O. It takes wisdom to know no. It takes wisdom to know that's a no. Wisdom, well, wisdom comes from here. This is why we open this book. Wisdom comes from here. And this is why this is such a difficult book. I really believe this is a difficult book. And, and we can't just surface it. We've got to go after it. I remember when Rosemary was leading me to Christ and she was sharing the gospel with me on a college campus and I'd never had a Bible, never been in church. And... Uh, and she wouldn't go out with me, but she was giving me a Bible, which I didn't think was a really great trade-off at that particular point. And uh, I, I remember lying in bed in, in, the, in the house where, uh, on the campus, 
am reading, uh, reading this and thinking, wow, this is a sleeper. <laughs> this thing is killing me. And, people, and it was a modern translation. And I remember talking to Rosemary about it later on and, she's, and saying, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm really trying to get a date with you, but I'm trying to read this. <laughs> And, and having her say, well, when do you read it? And I said, well, I'm reading it at night, last thing. So, and she said, so it's that little importance to you that you drift off with it rather than start with it to get it out there. Wow. In Deuteronomy 6.5, and it's kind of a graduation talk that Moses gives, and in Deuteronomy 6, he begins to talk about what we should do and how we should pass it on. What we should do and how we should pass it on. And Deuteronomy 6, 5 starts like this. He tells us what we're supposed to do. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today are to be on your heart. So I'm to have this, I'm to love God, and I'm to pursue God with every bit of me, pursue what this means, how does this work for me, what does this mean? But then I'm to pass it on. And it says in verse 7, you shall teach these, them, meaning these principles, diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. I need to teach this to my children so that they get it. The NIV translation, instead of teach this diligently, says impress this upon your children. You shall impress this upon your children. In other words, leave an impression. An impression can't be done by doing it one time. An impression can't even be left by Sunday. We just do it on Sundays. When I got, I got glasses at 40. Never wore glasses before in my life. And I got glasses at 40. And glasses are weird when you never wear glasses. And you put them on and they're awkward and they just don't work right. And, and there's no way I'm putting something on my eyeball and plucking it off on the end of the day. That so doesn't work for me. So I get these glasses and they're weird for a while. But after a couple of weeks, there's these divots right here. And then there's this valley in the fat of my head right here. And it just, you put it on and it goes to chink and it's locked because there's an impression and it fits in the impression and it works. Now, if I only wore these glasses on Sunday, there'd be no impression. I got to wear the glasses every day, every day, every day, every day. And then all of a sudden, wow, it's working. This whole thing's working. It all fits. That's wisdom. Teach it diligently to your children. And you shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be as frontlets on your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. America, our children need to see we believe this. Whether you're the next door neighbor of children, whether there are children in your house, they need to see this is who we are. And there's room for you. This is who you are. Everywhere we go. So first I have to know it. But can I say King David knew it? He knew it. He knew it. He wrote Psalms. He knew it. King David knew it. He just didn't do it. Because no didn't mean no to him. That's an absolute. No means no. So the next thing is, first is the personal wisdom, but the second is the personal discipline. I've got to have the personal discipline to do it. Because I kind of like to... But I know I shouldn't. I shouldn't click on that. I shouldn't look on that. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't be a part of that. I need to walk away from that. We need to raise our children to lead. We need to absolutely raise our children to go out the door as leaders and practice leading. Yeah, Proverbs 22.6, and I'm going to read it in the NLT translation because I love it in this. It says, teach your children to choose the right path. 
I want to raise someone who chooses. Teach your children to choose. Teach your children. Instead, our, our whole mantra for our children is drop your children off at the best activities. Teach your children to perform. Be on the sidelines, cheering for them. Life's not all about performance. Not, life is not all about performance. They're not going to grow up and people be on their sidelines waiting to perform. I've got to, I've got to raise a chooser so that when my child goes out the door, they have the wisdom because they've studied this and we study this, or they come back and they ask about this, and then they go out the door and they make decisions. And can I just say, they go into high school and that's a, a practice adulthood. That's an, that's an internship when they go out the door. Internship and, internship and adulthood before we drop them off on a college campus. And they need to practice these things. And will they be perfect? No, because I'm not perfect. But I need to be open to talk with them. We haven't lost this country yet. Because there's some great teens, 20s, and 30-somethings flat out bringing it. The rest of us need to be supporting them in that. The rest of us need to be get, get behind them in that. We can take this country back. This country, tea was thrown in the water by 14, 15, and 16-year-olds in Boston. Justin, he was right. Youth aren't tomorrow's church, they're today's church. And we can learn a lot from them. But we have to decide. There are some no's. There are some absolutes. We will teach them. We will live them. We will do them. And, and, and I can go out there and I can obey God. I can obey God because my parents taught me. That's why we want to hear them. They taught me to obey them so that I can go on and obey God. In James 5.12 it says this, Above all others, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So this, children obey your parents. I don't know. I'm not sure this is directed at the children as much as it's directed at the parents. It's certainly directed at both, that I need to position our family so that my kids are growing up in my home learning to obey me. It's a beginning. Some reason, Lord, you picked a name for you that's the same name for me, Father, Father. You, I don't know how you picked that name. And there will be a transfer at some point. You know, Roby talked in his sermon about reaching the points where you realize that your parent has issues. And he reached that point long before the basketball game. I mean, make sure you know that. He was very lenient. But that's the handoff time. When uh, I, I always looked up to my dad, my dad was a was a captain of industry, very very successful, and uh, disappointed that I went in the ministry, disappointed that I went to Sheridan House, really wanted me to go to law school. And for my dad, I applied to law school and and psychology at the same time. And, and then one summer, the summer before going, I realized that's a lot of reading. I'm not I'm not sure I'm up to law school, and uh, and I think I can do something for Jesus uh, in the field of psychology. And so. Um, in 1982, I wrote my first book. And I didn't tell my dad I was writing the book because I didn't want him to tell my dad in case I, it never got published. I, I just didn't want to deal with a failure. So I kind of hid it from my dad. And, I, and it came out, and uh, um, I remember driving up to Fort Lauderdale 
to show it to my dad. And I was pretty excited, and the book was dedicated to him. And my dad, he's German stock, and Germans don't compliment. They just don't, they just don't say a whole lot of positives. And so, I, hey, Dad, I wrote a book. I mean, I, I was goofy about it. Oh, hey, Dad, I wrote a book. And I hand, him, I hand him the book, and he picks up the book, and he says, who designed the cover? Wow, it's going to have a hard time selling with a cover like that. <laughs> and uh, he and I are both kind of angsty. And uh, I just said, well, I just want to get you the book. I was so mad. And I got out and got in my car and drove down uh, I-95 down to the Chevron station on the end of I-95 in Miami crying. And I got down there, and I'm putting gas in the car. And I don't know if I heard an audible voice. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus, Jesus, did you say that out loud? Because it's the one time, I, I, I don't know. And I, I heard God say, at least in my heart, that's your dad. I'm your father. You're going to him for something he doesn't have. Come to me. Minister to him. And it was such a great baton handing for me. It's not that my dad did it. He wasn't a believer. My father took it. And I realized then, no more excuses. No more excuses. No more my life isn't this or my life isn't that. Yeah, this whole... King David and these boys and these boys complaining and all the things they did and, and, and Absalom. It says, listen to this in, in 1 Kings 1.6. It says, Now his father King David had never disciplined him in any way, even by asking, what are you doing? He's going to go on to rape one of his sisters. We are called to give our children a faith in Jesus Christ. And can I say, whether they're your children or the children here in this church or the children in your neighborhood, a faith in Jesus Christ, then we are called to live a life where they see no means no. No doesn't mean maybe. No doesn't mean argue. And here's the problem. With your barbarian, no really means let the games begin. And no really means because sometimes we have actually inadvertently taught them when we say no, it means let's argue. And we get to the point as parents where we all of a sudden are exhausted and we throw our hands up and go, okay, okay, but next time I really mean it. Can you imagine how effective would that be if a police officer pulled me over and I'm talking to him and arguing with him and arguing with him and he all of a sudden says, okay, okay, okay. next time I really mean it. It wouldn't do much for me. It needs to be consistent. Sidebar here. We need to pray for our first responders. The media has decided to show us the .001% rather than the thousands of the first responders. It breaks my heart for them. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. In fact, let's do that right now. Let's just stop right now. Father, there are so many of my friends in law enforcement, so many of my friends rescuing on the, in the fire department. How quickly we have forgotten 9-11 when we were cheering them when they ran in the buildings. Turn us, Lord. Help us encourage them. Help us wave at them. Help us buy them lunch. Father, help us be an encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I believe 
that we can turn America around if we make the decision to teach no. Ephesians 6.4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now you would think that if we're doing discipline and instruction, it would make my children angry. When I do discipline and instruction in an inconsistent way, in an inconsistent way, that's what makes them angry. That's what makes you angry out on the highway, by the way. Out on the highway, you drive the same road 40 days in a row, exceeding the speed limit just a little bit, and all of a sudden, you get pulled over. Now, I've never experienced this personally, but I've heard this is what it's like when you get pulled over. And they come up to the car, and they say, and the officer says, excuse me, can I see your license and registration? And you get your, they take your license and registration and go back to their car. We have no clue what they do back in their car. They're ordering out or something. I don't, I don't know what they're doing back there. But after they've been there a few minutes, they come back, and they give you the, uh, the, the ticket. And, and, and you're mad at them. I mean, really? Really? There's people getting robbed in these neighborhoods, and they're out there with their silly radar guns. Really? Really? We're mad at them because they're inconsistent. And he's kind of nice. He gives you the ticket. He backs away and smiles and says, Ooh, a lot of you have experienced this. Yes. <laughs> have, a, have a nice day. Yeah. Now, if all of a sudden no meant no, 45 miles an hour meant 45 miles an hour, no meant no, and the government decided to hook something into your dashboard that every time you exceeded the speed limit, your car turned off, and when your car turned off, you had to get it over to the side, take out your magic plastic card, stick it in the CD slot, and swipe 125 to the county again and again and again, and all of a sudden, you, what am I doing this to me for? And that's what we want with our children. We went with our children. Every time I put my head down and go against a no, I hit my head on that wall, and it hurts, and I don't want to do it anymore. No means no. Because if I do that, then I will not. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Because how do I know sometimes no means no, sometimes no doesn't mean no. It needs to mean no every single time. So at least I, K-N-O-W, know when I do this behavior, there's going to be a consequence, period, end of story. Number five on your outline, no is a complete sentence. No. And it needs to be a complete sentence so we can move on with life and actually enjoy our kids and have fun with, with our kids. It's not fun to play the game of life with no boundaries on the field because we're always wondering when we're out of bounds. Boundaries on the field, no means no, and, and then to transfer them off to God. And as we transfer them off to God, for them to understand, wow, your father, he really knows what's best for you. He knows the plans he has for you. He created you. He wove you, target specific, wove you together in your mother's womb. I'm one of those guys. I know, I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I'm supposed to be at Sheridan House. I just know I'm supposed to be there. And my mentor, Wendell Hawley, introduced me once at a banquet and said, Bob Barnes is the most average guy I've ever seen doing great things for God. He's right where he's supposed to be. I'll take it. And there were a lot of distractions along the way. No means no. So that there's no distractions and I don't lose a marriage. Derail my children. Derail the children in the neighborhood that are watching. I need to set up something that teaches my children, that teaches my children. And then I need to live it. You know, it's amazing. When that single parenting book came out, it came out in November. And when a publisher brings a book out in November, it's a pretty strong indicator they don't expect it to do anything. If you expect a book to do something, you bring it out in May for the National Booksellers Convention in Dallas, and they just hit it. Uh, but it came out in November. And at the end, 
the uh, proceeds for the book at the end of that year was $500. Now, I was pretty jocked. And, uh, and they want to know what we should do with the money. And I said, uh, well, I'm kind of thinking on the check it should say B-A-R-N-E-S, but what are you suggesting here? And they said, well, what about giving it to Sheridan House? That's what a lot of, lot of writers and ministries do. And I'm thinking $500, you know what I'm going to get? Yes, that's what we're doing with the book money. We're giving it to Sheridan House. That's it. It's a yes. We're going with that. Well, in February, Dobson picked it up. And when Dobson picks up a book, you could write a coloring book, to tell you the truth, and it's going somewhere. Dobson picked it up. It went into, into 17 printings and seven other languages. And all of a sudden, it's at the end of the year now. And, uh, and everybody wants to know, okay, what's going to happen with the book money? And I asked the question over the phone, how much is it? Just curious, how, how much is it? And they said, well, we probably shouldn't tell you. And I said, well, yeah, I need to know. Uh, well, you're going to give it to Sheridan. I said, well, how much is it? And they said, well, it's a little over $100,000. Thank you for that pain right in there. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm scratching just talking about this whole thing. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, uh, well, can I call you tomorrow? I was making about $37,000, and can I, I'm on the verge of tears just telling the story, but I, can I call you tomorrow? And I get home to Rosemary, and Rosemary basically, in her own sweet way, says, when I say, I want to talk to you about the, the money from the books, I think we should be taking the money from the books. And she's, she's great. She says, how many zeros? And I said, what does that mean? How many zeros on a check would cause you to change your commitment? Bob, it's a no. You've already decided. No, no, that's not, it's a No. You know, and I called him back in tears and said, no, it's, the answer's no. It's made $1.3 for Sheridan House. Amen. You know what I believe? I believe if I'd have taken that money, it would have been the last check that came in. And I'm not hurting. I'm blessed. Yeah. This whole thing is a focus. Who am I trusting? I want to do that. I want to touch that. I want to have that. But I trust you, and you say it's a no. You say it's a no. So I, I, Joseph did it. I can do it. Joseph learned it. I can teach it. Six on your outline. Focus is the discipline. This focus. Focus is the discipline to say no to anything off mission. Off mission. And that's true freedom. Anything off mission. That's a quote by Mark DeMoss. I love this quote. Getting focused. Okay, I'm focusing on you. We are here for you. We are here for you. I'm focusing on you. Focus is the, and it's the discipline to keep the focus there, not on whatever's walking by, focusing right there. Focus is the discipline to say no to anything off mission, no to clicking on, no to hiding sin, no to kidding myself. Number seven, question, why is no so difficult? I think there's reasons no is so difficult. One of the reasons is, letter A, no one else is abiding by the rules. Is it just me? I mean, imagine Joseph all alone in this pagan country. No one else. I mean, I'm thinking they're laughing at him. Really, Joe? Really? But we are, I'm here for you, Lord. I don't know what you're doing. 11 years as a slave, just under three years in prison. But I know I can trust you with me. Yeah, I think a big one, letter B, I don't want, I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to deny myself. I, I, I deserve, I want, I think letter C, never taught. We've raised a generation never taught. See, this was built in. You didn't have to teach it for generations. And generations after generation, you grew up on a farm. There's a reason farmers had 12 kids. Well, 
Mrs. Berkman had 12 kids, but there's a reason farmers had 12 kids. The reason farmers had 12 kids is because they had 12 free employees. They got up every day and went out, and I don't have a clue what you do on a farm, but collected the eggs, milked the cows, did whatever. They came back in, and they, they didn't say, I just got 81 eggs. How much do I get? You get to sleep here. And you get to learn, I don't want to do this, but not doing that is a no. I got to go, I got to go get the eggs. I got to go milk the cows. I got to go work. And that's walking away irresponsible. That's a no. And they grew up, but we don't have that anymore. So we have to get target specific with our kids. Yeah, never taught. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents. It needs to be taught. Or, I think for some of us, we believe this. Letter D. For me, it's unavoidable. And there was a word going around about a decade ago called generational sin. And I, I think we kind of almost hook generational sin. My parents didn't, whatever. But there's a 2 Corinthians 5.17 verse that, that says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I'm a brand new person. I've got to redo I got to do a redo. It's a new me. Now the old me is the shadow that keeps following me. And the old me wants me to come back, but it's a new me. It's a new me. I, I don't need the shadow. New start, new me, cast away. And when Jesus says, when the Bible says, and, and Bob, your sin is cast away as far as the east is from the west, to remember it no more, that's an amazing statement. It's the only geographical locator that has no mileage. If they'd have said, let me tell you how far your sin is cast away, from Miami to Jacksonville. So there is a sin that's not. Well, or what about North Pole to South Pole, as far as the North is from the South? We know that. We know the distance from the North to the South. It's 12,000 miles. We know that. But as far as the East is from the West, they never meet. They never meet. I'm a new person in Christ new person, sins cast away. I got a complete, total, absolute redo. I want that for my children. I want that for the children around me. I want that for my friends. I'm grateful for that. But I've got to decide, I now have the ability to make no mean no in my life and make no mean no in the lives around me by teaching him he's got a better plan. And it starts with, well, number eight. Just say yes to what God has for you. Just say yes to what God has for you. And can I say this? If you're in a hole right now, if you're like J Joseph and you, f you feel like, wow, this job or this unemployment or this situation, I, or, or even at school, I'm in a horrible situation in, in high school or middle school. I mean, it's just the situation I'm in is, is untenable. It's horrible. Joseph was in prison trusting God. Joseph was in prison trusting God. He never stopped trusting God. I choose you. I choose you. I choose to trust you. And I'm so grateful because you chose me. And Lord, I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss and get to heaven. And you say, Bob, there's a DVD I want you to play for yourself. It's what you could have done if you trusted me, son. You accepted me. But no didn't mean no. You thought you could write a better pattern for your life than this. And I know, son, this is hard. That's why we study together. That's why we have community groups. That's why we, just to get it and to share with each other and actually say, I'm not doing this well right now. I'm not doing my marriage well. I'm not doing this life well. I, I, can I meet? Can I talk to somebody? Will somebody pray with me? Yeah. 
No means no. Because he said yes to you. Don't miss that. Can I say if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and even when somebody says that and you've heard it before, it's really weird. Received, I mean, you're going to give me? Is that what that fuzzy stuff was in the cup that, that Matt, Matt, Matt held up? I mean, no, it's to begin a relationship. It's to begin a relationship with Christ who will never, ever, ever let you down. But my little teeny part in that is I say yes to you, which means no to my old life and no to the things I used to do, no to the things I used to think about because I trust you with me and I trust you for my future and I don't want to miss it. If that's you today, then I would say this. There will be people here after the service. Don't walk out of here that way. Just say, can I talk to somebody? And as you come to talk to somebody, they'll ask you, are you here to receive Christ? Are you here for prayer? Don't walk out of here without that. Being able to make no mean no in your life starts with having the power because you've said yes to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of even training the next generation. Thank you for that privilege. I'm dumbfounded that you just didn't have us all arrive at 18 years old and you do the training and just plop us here on this planet. But you have permitted, you have permitted us to impact the lives of our children and the children around us and, and the teens and just the people around us, the students, just in, involved in the students' lives. But Father, starting at home with our own, my, my life, my marriage, my children, my grandchildren, for your glory. And Father, if there's someone here today who doesn't know, doesn't know you, not sure that they know you, oh, Father, don't let them leave here without you. Give them the courage to say no to walking out of here, no to being embarrassed, no to not knowing what to say, and saying, yes, I'm going to get the answer today. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.